Justin Shears and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. I told you about strawberry fields Well here's a place you know just as real just another place you can go Everything glows Looking through the bent back tulips To see how the other half lives Looking through a glass onion I told you about strawberry fields Well here's a place you know just as real just another place you can go Everything glows Looking through the bent back tulips Looking through a glass of sonia It's hard to remember a time when a copy of song lyrics weren't included as part of an album package. Of course, the Beatles had been the very first to do this by adding the words to all the songs on the back cover of the Sgt. Pepper album sleeve. From Norwegian Wood through Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds to I Am the Walrus, Many Beatles songs had become open to interpretation by self-proclaimed experts, most of whom were not even close in their ideas about the meanings of the words they had heard and read. Around the time of the White Album, John thought it would be funny just to drop some false clues into some of his lyrics, just to see what sort of nonsense would be read into them. The home demo of Glass Onion that we just heard was just that. John messing with the minds of the so-called experts, but also reaching out to Paul in a difficult time. Paul and John explain. I'm still the walrus. Are you the walrus? The walrus was a nothing thing, not meant anything about anyone. It was very red into. And what happened was when we did Magical Mystery Tour and portrayed it, I actually put on the walrus mask, the one on that wall all swaying, happened to be me with the walrus thing after that. Just, we just picked up a head each, no thought behind I think the high spot for me was really the music. To be able to include I Am The Walrus was a great bonus for us. So we could do a sort of surrealist version to accompany the song, which itself was quite surrealist. 
And then one minute I had the walrus mask on, next minute John had it on. Because what happened was people were always reading into the Beatles lyrics. So we kind of knew this would get talked about and people would try and work out who was the walrus, who was behind that mask. So we would actually set these false clues just for a bit of fun. At that time, still in my love cloud with Yoko, I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll just say something nice to Paul that it's all right, you know, and, uh, you know, you, you did a good job over these few years holding us together and, and you know, he was trying to, to organise the group and that, you know, and do the music and be an individual artist and all that, so I wanted to say something to him, you know, and I did it for that reason, you know. I thought, well, you can have it, you know, I've got Yoko and thank you, you can have the credit, you know. I would encourage him to keep lines in his songs that he didn't think were very good. And I'd say, no, that's a really great line. It was a song of his called Glass Onion, where he had a line about the walrus. Here's another clue for you all, the walrus was Paul. And he wanted to keep it, but he needed to check it with me. He said, what do you think about that line? I said, it's a great line, you know, it's a spoof on the way everyone was always reading into our songs. I said, uh, here we go, you know, we give them another clue to follow. So we would, we would check stuff against each other. Um, and uh, it was obviously very handy for our writing to be able to do that. At this stage, Glass Onion only had one verse, which John repeated twice. But by the time it reached the studio floor three months later, it had a few more tantalising tidbits for the careful listener. What do you think upstairs, Chris? It wasn't quite together in the first verse, I don't think. Okay. It still seems to speed up a bit on the air, but it might be my imagination. A one, two.
From the 11th of September 1968, take 10 of Glass Onion, now referencing not only Strawberry Fields and I Am the Walrus, but also The Fool on the Hill, Lady Madonna and Fixing a Hole with a tongue-in-cheek carpentry reference which would keep the herbal enthusiast amused, and a reference to the cast iron shore, a real place, a beach in Liverpool. The lyrics of Glass Onion, along with a myriad of others, would eventually be used by theorists to prove that Paul had actually died in a car accident in 1966 and had been replaced with a remarkably good lookalike. Mind you, it was only a theory. With George Martin's protege Chris Thomas behind the desk, the basic track of Glass Onion went to 34 takes, with a traditional lineup of John on acoustic guitar and guide vocal, George on electric guitar, Paul on bass, and Ringo on an experimental drum setup, cobbling together pieces from two separate kits, including two kick drums. Take 33 was marked as best and treated to overdubs on the 12th and the 13th of September. On the 16th, the track received its distinctive recorder part, played by Paul, which echoed the melody of The Fool on the Hill in that section where the song is referenced. Another 10 days would pass until the song was returned to. The long evening session of the 16th of September, which would run to 3am the next day, was, by all accounts, fun, with the Beatles, this time minus George, working on another of Paul's ballads. Who knows how long I'd love you, yeah Who knows I love you still Will I wait a lonely lifetime If you want me to, I will Take one of I Will, Paul's latest acoustic offering, aided and abetted by Ringo on drums, and John alternating between shaking maracas and beating out a rhythm on a hollowed-out woodblock known as Skulls. Paul explains the reasons behind the Beatles going from all-out rock and roll to swinging ballads in the blink of an eye. The, the twangy guitar type thing is used again on this one. 
Um, there is a slight influence, well, a slight influence, there's a lot of sort of, I suppose, music that you could call rock and roll on this LP, isn't there? Yes, well, we are. You know, we've always been a rock and roll group, I suppose. You know, it's just that it's just that we're not just completely rock and roll. That's what I was trying to say before about Obladi, USSR, birthday. You know, all the different kinds of things. We're not just completely one kind of group. Because like when we played in Hamburg, we didn't just do rock all evening. Because we had to, we had these, you know, sort of uh, fat old businessmen coming in and saying, uh, or thin old businessmen as well, but coming in and saying. Uh, you know, play a mambo. You know, can you do a, can you do a, a rumba? And we couldn't just keep saying no. You know, so we had to get into mambos and rumbas a bit. So that um, this kind of thing is like, so that, that it's a pretty sort of smoochy uh, ballad. I will. So we have to do that kind of stuff. You know. Um, so so we've always played a lot of kinds of things. You know. So um, I don't know if he's getting off the subject, but that's that's why like there's there's a great variety in this LP because in our things in everything we do, you know, we we just haven't got one bag the Beatles, you know. I mean, because on one hand you'll get something like uh, I will, and then you'll get we do, why don't we do it in the road, you know, just completely different things, completely different feelings, and but it's it's me singing both of them. It's the same fella, uh, and I wrote both of them. You know, so that you can't explain it. You know, I don't know why I do. Why don't we do it in the road, shouting it like that, with do with the piano and just sort of a rock and roll thing, and then do this sort of smoochy Latin American um, girl from Ipanema. Step Joel Pereris and the Pereri Wildflowers. Las Paranoias. <laughs> Las Paranoias. Invite you to. To just enjoy us. Come on, you can do it, baby. Come on and join Los Paranoias. Just enjoy us. Los Paranoias Los Paranoias Come on, enjoy us Harmony Los Paranoias Come on, enjoy us Los Paranoias 
The Beatles busking their way through sessions for I Will on the 16th of September, 1968. Amongst the numerous takes of the new song, Paul, John and Ringo slipped in and out of other tunes, including Take 34, Step Inside Love, the song Paul wrote in 1967 for Cilla Black as a theme song for her television show, and Take 35, an improvisation called Lost Paranoias. Having been exposed to South American rhythms as BBC radio listeners in the late 1950s and early 1960s, the Beatles would have developed a soft spot for this kind of music. Take 36 was a sort of rendition of The Way You Look Tonight, a jazz standard recorded by just about everyone, most notably Fred Astaire, Billie Holiday and Frank Sinatra. Another number recorded between takes of I Will was never given an official title, but part of it would make its way onto the final LP. Originally labelled on the tape box as Jam Unidentified, the track now known as Can You Take Me Back was edited down and used as an interlude between Cry Baby Cry and Revolution 9 on side 4 of the final LP. The questioning lyrics were probably inspired by a sound montage on Simon and Garfunkel's 1968 bookends album called Voices of Old People, words spoken by residents at a home for the aged. But the fun didn't stop there. Blue moon, you saw me standing alone. 
That's a Gucci man. <laughs> Fatty Goosable. Blue Moon, another standard, most notably recorded by Elvis Presley at Sun Studios in 1954. Right, lads, enough mucking around. Back to work. One, two, three. Who knows how long I've loved you? You know I love you still. Will I wait a lonely lifetime? If you want me to, I won't. Yes, you will. <laughs> the recordings for I Will ran to take 67. But of course, as we've just heard, many of those takes were incomplete or jams and improvisations. Take 65 was deemed as best and transferred from four track to eight track tape, ready for completion the next day. Who knows how long I've loved you? isolation mix of I Will, completed on the 17th of September 1968. Overdubs on to take 65 included more acoustic guitar, harmony vocals, maracas and, most interestingly, the sound of a double bass cleverly imitated by Paul's voice. As sessions rolled into the 18th of September, the Beatles realised they had an important engagement to keep. But it wasn't a television show, a radio interview, film premiere or a concert to attend. Paul explains. What happened was, we, we, The Girl Can't Help It was on television. That's an old rock film. Right. Uh, with Little Richard and Pat Domino and Eddie Cock and a few others, Gene Vincent. And we wanted to see it. So um, we started recording at five o'clock and we said, well, we'll do some, we'll just do a backing track. We'll make up a backing track. So we kept a very simple 12 bar blues kind of thing and we, and we stuck a few bits here and there in it with no idea what the song was or what was going to go on top of it we just said okay uh, 12 bars in a then we'll change to d and then we'll do a few beats in c you know we really just did it like that random thing
And then we came back, because we didn't have time for anything else, and so we just recorded this backing. And we came back here to my house and watched um, The Girl Can't Help It. Ladies and gentlemen, the motion picture you are about to see is a story of music. I play the role of Tom Miller, an agent, a small-time theatrical agent who had been a... Well, you'll see. This motion picture was photographed in the grandeur of CinemaScope and... Pardon me. As I was saying, this motion picture was photographed in the grandeur of CinemaScope and in gorgeous, lifelike color by Deluxe. Gorgeous, lifelike color by Deluxe. Sometimes you wonder who's mining the store. Oh, yes. Our story is about music. Not the music of long ago, but the music that expresses the culture, the refinement, and the polite grace of the present day. Having recorded the backing track for this impromptu blues rock number, the Beatles headed around the corner to 7 Cavendish Avenue, Paul's London house still to this day, which is wedged between Abbey Road Studios and Lord's Cricket Ground. Dinner was had, and the Beatles enjoyed watching their idols from the 1957 classic rock and roll vehicle, The Girl Can't Help It, with Eddie Cochran and Fats Domino, alongside Little Richard, with whom the Beatles had shared the stage in Hamburg, and Gene Vincent, who had headlined at the Cavern Club, for which the Beatles were the support act. And of course, the very talented Jane Mansfield would have also been a draw card for a rewatch of the movie. After a quick dinner, the Beatles headed back to Abbey Road. Then we went back to the studio again, and then made up some words to go with it all, uh, which were, they, they say it's your birthday, well it's my birthday too, Jay. And so this, this song was just made up in an evening. Um, you know, we haven't ever thought of it before then. And it's one of my favorites, you know, because of that. I think it works, you know, because it's just, it's a, it's, a, it's a good one to dance to. Like a big, long drum break, but just because instead of, well, normally we might have sort of four bars of drums, but with, with this, we just say, well, keep it going, you know, let's keep it, I like, you know, we all like to hear just drums plodding on. So, um, no more explanation, it's uh, a cold birthday. Okay, ready, Ringo? One, two, one, two. 
Take 19 of Birthday. Clearly inspired by watching a blast from their past, the Beatles started and completed the track in the same evening, with overdubs of double track lead vocals, hand claps, tambourine, and extra backing vocals of the word birthday, provided by none other than Paddy Harrison and Yoko Ono. An exciting opener to the second half of the album. Next on the list was a song written by George as far back as 1966, around the same time as Taxman, and as much of a social commentary as its revolver companion. With shades of George Orwell's Animal Farm, George Harrison observed the inequalities of the class system, using the image of little piggies and bigger piggies in his analogy. One, two, three, four... George's home demo of Piggies, recorded in May 1968 at his house in Esher. The session of the 19th of September, beginning in Studio One due to the presence of a harpsichord, this time played by producer Chris Thomas, saw 11 takes of the backing track committed to tape. George played acoustic guitar, Ringo tambourine, and Paul's bass, rigged up to sound like a grunting pig, formed the basis of the track. Strings will be added on the 10th of October, making Take 12 a very stately recording indeed. I'll just be singing to guide you. Yeah, Two, three, four. In the stars with all the backing folk. 
I'm a fabulous, fabulous vegetarian. One more. One more time. Not for that far back. that's it for this episode. Next time, the Beatles dabble in a range of musical styles and subject matter as the White Album sessions continue. Until next time... Cause it's